Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that is so bad, not even Chuck Norris would write or sing a song about it. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, 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 and do you know what night it is? Well, by the time you're hearing this, it's Thursday night, but right now as I sit here in front of this microphone, it is actually Saturday night, April 5th, and I am getting ready to leave for the West Coast early in the morning tomorrow. So, this show, 100% entirely pre-recorded and sometimes educational, sometimes irreverent, but always entertaining Pipes Magazine radio show. So on tonight's show, because I'm traveling and by request of my friend Quincy, I'm going to talk about traveling with pipes. What I do before I'm getting ready to go on a trip with pipes, uh, touch a little bit on the pipe show side of that as well. My guest, pipe maker, luthier Joe Nelson. We've got music, mailbag, quick update on the JDRF auctions because we've still got one more pipe running and a rave at the end of the show. Yeah, I'm a, I saved the rave. We'll end this one on a happy note for you. And as I said, I am heading to the West Coast. I'll be in uh, Los Angeles Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and then heading over to Las Vegas for the NATO show, the not the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, the National Association of Tobacco Outlets holding a uh, their annual two-day trade show Wednesday and Thursday at the Paris Hotel and Casino and Convention Center and uh, restaurants and bars and all that stuff. Anyway, the NATO show is... Tobacco outlets. These are the stores that you see popped up all around the strip malls that are discount cigarette stores. You go inside, they've got the basics when it comes to pipes. Yeah, they might have a basket pipe or two. They might have some accessories. Uh, But primarily cigarettes, chewing tobacco, roll your own, the discount cigarette stores. I'm going there because the Brigham business has... uh, We have some of those stores that buy our accessories and and our basket pipes, so... I'll be spending two days there. I will. In uh, next week's show, a week from now, I'll update you on what I saw there and uh, talk a little bit about vaping or the e-cigarette world. So, All right, everybody, let's get tonight's show going. Sit back, fire up a bowl. Thank you to Sutliff Tobacco Company. Here we go. Hi, this is Pipe Babe Cynthia, and you're listening to the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs, comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. Cup of Joe's, a name you know, a name that you trust for all your tobacco needs. Exclusive pipes, pipe tobacco, accessories, pipe stands, and so much more. Cup of Joe's is the one place you can go and take care of every single one of your tobacco purchases. Fast shipping, friendly, professional service. One site, cupofjoes.com. And coming soon, their new line of smoking man pipes, cupofjoes.com. Quality products and extraordinary prices. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show. In uh, just a few minutes, my discussion with Joe Nelson. In the meantime, in Pipe Parts, let's talk about traveling with your pipes, traveling with your tobaccos, tampers, lighters, or matches. Air travel can be a bit of a hassle. 
and especially nowadays, you want to make sure that anything that goes in a suitcase can be ready to be kicked around by a gorilla. Remember the old Samsonite commercial? Well, you want anything that's going in a suitcase to be able to be kicked around by a gorilla. So, when I'm traveling for a standard trip, standard Monday through Friday business trip or you know a couple of days business trip, my pipes and my tobaccos go with me in my bag on the plane. Period. End of story. I make sure that it's either a four-pipe bag that fits into my suit uh, fits into my backpack or I have a large seven pipe bag that's got a shoulder strap that carries you know seven pipes and tobaccos and tampers that goes with me I do not let ever I do not ever let my bag containing my pipes go in the overhead compartment you never want that to go in the overhead compartment because You may get on the plane and everything's fine. You put your stuff up there. The next thing you know, you turn around and somebody's trying to jam a steamer trunk into the size of a squirrel nest and your stuff's getting smashed like a bunch of nuts. I've seen it before and I've seen it happen time and time again. So again, anything that I want to make sure pipe related, it goes under the seat in front of me or fits into the pocket in the seat back. I don't care I know that I have control over it at that point. Uh, Tampers, you want to stay away from the tampers that have a really sharp edge on them. I use the little black screw-in one, the three one that screws into itself so it closes up so all the ashes stay in there. Never once, I keep it in my pocket, and again, never once have I been stopped or told that I couldn't take it through security. Never once. Never, never, never. Uh, tobacco. Don't take tobacco on an airplane unless you are ready to open it for them. Don't take tobacco on an airplane unless you are ready to open the open it for security. The reason is when it goes through the scanners, it shows up as a round metal tin, and you want to be prepared to open up that tin and show them that it is pipe tobacco. So if you are traveling with a very uh, a very rare tin of tobacco. That one you don't want to take on board on board the plane with you. You really don't want to put it under the seat and or under the airplane either, and I'll explain that in a minute. But the other reason you don't want to take a tobacco anywhere on an airplane that you don't want to open is because airplane cabins are pressurized to eight thousand feet in altitude. If you're used to living at six seven hundred feet above sea level like I am, and you get on that airplane, you've put almost two complete atmospheres of pressure onto that tin. That tin may pop right open. I've had it happen to me once with an older tin of a Scudo popped open. I was ready. I was taking it so that I could smoke it, but be prepared. Airplane pressurization is at 8,000 feet. Same thing in the cargo hold, 8,000 feet. So if you put a tin of tobacco in your suitcase and you've got it wrapped up in saran wrap in saran wrap there you go big van uh you want to make sure that you're going to be ready to smoke it when you get off the airplane never once have i had an issue with security with a with a tin of tobacco i have had a couple of a couple of questions from security in regards to pipe cleaners because when my bag goes through the x-ray those show up like a bunch of little metal wires on the x-ray. So be prepared. Give yourself extra time to get through security because you're carrying all these little metal wires. You have metal tins or possibly metal tins and a odd-looking poker device, better known to us as a tamper. You have those. So just give yourself some extra time. Don't take anything, any pipe... Any pipe tamper or tool that looks like it might have a sharp edge on the knife portion. Don't take them. Just leave them at home. Or put them in your toiletry bag, put them in the checked luggage, and away they go. Um, Last tip, if you have to put pipes in your suitcase and check them, go to the sporting goods store and buy yourself hard plastic foam-lined pistol cases. 
They're plastic pistol cases. They're meant to protect one or two small handguns. You can buy them for about 12 bucks. You can easily fit six or eight pipes in there. They're very well protected. Those plastic cases don't show up on an x-ray, so you don't really have to worry about it. But be prepared to give yourself extra time when you get there. Make sure that if you're putting pipes in your suitcase and go and sending it through checked luggage that they are very well padded because those suitcases get bounced around fairly good. Uh, last thing on lighters, don't take a lighter that you're not willing to leave with, uh, with security. Matches, if you bring too many, they're going to look at you funny, so you want to bring a box or two in your carry-on luggage. If you're bringing more than that, put the rest in your checked luggage and send it through. Don't be cheap and try to smuggle a whole bunch of boxes of matches on there. They really frown upon that. But the rule of thumb with lighters, don't bring anything that you're not willing to leave behind. You have to be able to light it and show them that it's a soft, a, a traditional flame and not a jet lighter. All right, there's my advice on traveling. Hey, maybe next week what I'll do is uh, preparations for going on to a long pipe show because I didn't get to that here. So we'll be back in just a minute with Joe Nelson. This is Internet Radio. There's nothing quite like a good book or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. Signore, signore, scusi per favore, but what is that intoxicating and delicious aroma coming from your pipe? Oh, uh, this is Molto Dolce, my all-time favorite blend from Sutliff Tobacco. Do you like it? I found it on sutliffmoltodolce.com. Do you mind if I try? Oh, signore, this truly is molto dolce. So charming that you even speak my language as it is truly very sweet. <laughs> just like you, I am sure. I can just taste the warm caramel and sweet dripping honey gushing through my mouth. Oh, and even better, the rich vanilla flavor plays so well with the other tastes over my tongue. Pure heaven! Mi piace moltissimo, mi amore. Can't you see it, signore? I can see it. I can see it. And signore, best of all, no tongue bite. Grazie un milione for the pipe, signore. <laughs> hey! Sutliff Tobacco Company will not be held responsible for any loss of one's favorite pipe customers may experience when smoking our delicious Malto Dolce blend in public. We are back and joining us here on the Pipes Magazine radio show is a pipe maker, luthier, and uh, other than that, he's actually a nice guy. Uh, Joe Nelson. Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you doing today? Oh, fine and dandy. Uh, Joe, tell everybody, where did you grow up? I grew up in a, in a small rural community of North Fond du Lac, uh, which is north of Fond du Lac. So it's a, it's a small little community. I was born in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, and uh, now I'm back just south of Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, where I've been living for about the last 30 years with my wife and, and children here, and they're grown and gone now, so... So uh, that just, that's why you have a little bit of an accent, and if anybody has any trouble understanding your words, just email me, and I'll uh, I'll tra- I'll put a translation up. You can translate those for them. All right. Yeah, yeah, you betcha. You betcha. Hey. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> double. Right. So let's first let's talk about the uh, about the guitar making. You are an okay. actual custom guitar maker, luthier. How long have you been doing it? What got you started with that? Well, it all kind of started actually when I was about 15 years old. Uh, started to learn how to play guitar. And shortly after that, of course, when you own a guitar, many things can go wrong with them. So I kind of started dabbling with the uh, idea of repairing my own guitars and so forth. And as I got older and Played more and got into a, a local band, garage band type of thing. Uh, a lot of the fellows there would always come to me and have me uh, fix up their instruments as well and, and uh, just took an interest. I always had an interest in uh, how to build them and repair them back then, but I didn't have the means to set up a shop when I was young. 
uh, to actually build them. So I kind of focused a little bit on minor repairs that I could do uh, in my parents' home. And and then once I got married and started having children, I kind of put the guitars on the back burner for a while. And once my girls were uh, kind of pretty much through school, um, I started getting into the idea that maybe I'd want to build guitars again. So I started doing uh, the research necessary and Probably by 1996, I was getting very serious about the uh, the idea and, and researched it extremely. Uh, and uh, by 1998, I had already been tooled up and uh, ready to go for building my first instruments. And uh, during that whole time, of course, I still maintained uh, repair work for local musicians in the area, just as a hobby type level. And uh, then in about uh, 2009, so that was about 1998 that I actually really started doing building as well as repair work. And in uh, 2009 uh, was when I jumped in with both feet full time to do luthier work as well as the pipe making. Um, so that, that's kind of how I got into the guitars was uh, pretty much from the time I was a young, young kid. I'm a little bit of a neophyte. What does a custom-made guitar cost? Yeah, a lot depends on what you want on it, whether it's an electric or an acoustic guitar. Uh, my acoustic guitars are, are in the beginning range of about thirty-seven fifty dollars uh, for something very basic and, and fairly in ornate. Um, and if you want to start adding a lot of fancy purflings with pearl inlay and so forth, uh, it goes up considerably and accordingly because it take take you well, anywhere from uh, twice as long to construct if you start putting a lot of inlay on it. Uh, one of the things I do is the inlay that I that I do on guitars is still done the old-fashioned way. I uh, I differ from a lot of the modern makers that way. A lot of folks will. Uh, go with uh, CNC cut pieces that are, of course, designed to their spec, but then they'll also have those those pockets routed to install it by the same CNC company where I still do everything pretty much by hand with a Dremel tool and uh, and cut my pearl. So it, it, it can go up anywhere upwards of $12,000 for a handmade uh, acoustic guitar. My electric guitars are a little less expensive in the $2,700 range and on up. And, and really the only thing that changes there uh, would be the electronics. You know, uh, you, you can spend uh, quite a bit more on electronics and hardware on an electric guitar as, as you increase. But uh, probably the maximum on an electric would be in, say, the $5,000 range, depending, you know, what you get. But again, that's nothing etched in rock. It, it, it depends what you get. If I wanted gold-plated pickup covers, that would uh, probably raise the price a little bit. Yeah, it would probably raise the price a bit. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> so you said something about pearls. You actually buy your own. You buy your own mother of pearl and then cut it to fit. Correct. I buy the black blanks and then uh, I cut it either with a with a handsaw or the Dremel tool, depending you know how intricate the work is. Uh, the old-fashioned way, you know, I just. Uh, Use the pearl cutting saw or or uh, Dremel tool, and it. it's a pretty uh, pretty lengthy operation because once you get the pearl cut and tweak it, you know you might need to do a little filing on it and so forth, and you actually glue it lightly uh, where it's going to go, and you outline the edge with either an Exacto knife or a a uh, scratch owl that's very fine uh, to give you an outline, and then you unglue it. Uh, using some acetone, pop it off of there. Hopefully you don't break it. And then uh, you go back with some chalk, and that'll give you the outline of what you want to route out so you know you know, the exact outline of the piece you're going to fit. And then you dremel that out and, and fit it into there and epoxy it in or super glue it in, depending on the application, whether you're doing a fingerboard or if it's actually something on the face of the guitar or the back. When you're just doing just a standard fret marker... You're like talk, a round dot or something. Like a round dot. You're talking about doing that process 10, 12 times for one guitar? Uh, no, no. when I do the dots, those I'll 
dots I'll order pre-cut because it's not a big deal. One of the things I do with my dots is I'll either surround them with a sterling silver ring or an aluminum ring that's highly polished depending on the size because you can't always get the sterling silver tubing that fits the, the dot that you're using perfectly. So sometimes it's interchanged with some polished aluminum. But I'll uh, I'll do that, and and they're just standard sizes, and there there you would just use a, a drill to hollow that out, uh, a flat bottom drill, and then uh, set the pre-cut pearl and tubing in place. I'm talking about more like you know something fancy like a tree of life design or something on the fingerboard that I do by hand, or decorating the headstock. Correct. My own my own logo that I put on the top that's all cut by hand as well, and you don't you know you don't always get perfection, um, but I really feel that if people are paying for a handmade instrument that that it should truly be handmade from start to finish, and that's why I do what I do. And I think those subtle little nuances that maybe are considered imperfections by others become uh, something maybe a little more intriguing that people really realize that it was done by hand and. If it's not exactly perfect, uh, you know, I always try to achieve perfection, but you and I both know that that's not going to happen. So the reality is, is you do have some little flaws, but I think they're they're more character than flaws. And I think the people, I, I know the people that have purchased my instruments uh, see it as such. Have your guitars landed in the hands of anybody that we might know their name? You know, I I've done... Probably the fellow that uh, may or may not ring a bell would be a fellow that uh, founded back in like the early late '60s, early '70s, a band called the Ides of March. A fellow by the name of Jim Peterick, and I doubt if most people don't know him. Uh, you would know their one-hit wonder uh, called "Vehicle" from back in the day. He wrote that when he was just 18 years old in 1970, I believe it was. So. I don't know if you would know him, but he's got one of my guitars, and he's primarily a, a songwriter these days, and he really is low-keyed. He's been in the business now going on 45 years or so, 50 years, somewhere in there, and he, he pitches songs to everyone. He's uh, He's got a band called the Pride of Lions right now, which is primarily, uh, they primarily tour over in Japan. Um but he's been with uh, a band called Survivor. He co-wrote nine albums with them. He uh, he's written a lot of songs for Thirty Eight Special, Leonard Skinner. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, Carlos Santana. So he's uh, been in fact the guitar. Excuse me. He's been busy. Yeah, he he's done a lot in his life. He's and and the thing is, is he's really a, a great guy. Uh, besides, he's been to my shop. He's. He's played uh, one of the other tunes that he wrote uh, called Eye of the Tiger for Sylvester Stallone uh, right here in my shop through one of my amps. You know, he's a very interesting guy. <laughs> now, that that same attention to detail on making a guitar, that probably automatically transferred over into making pipes. It did. Um, in fact, uh, my pipes, if you look at them, you'll see either an abalone shell or some type of mother of pearl. I use gold, white, black, depending what suits the pipe or what I feel I should use on a given day, uh, as well as some of the uh, materials that I use for for pickup uh, or for uh, pick guards and so forth on guitars. I try to incorporate some of those materials on, guitar, on the pipes as well. Um, the, the various plastics that I use for even cover plates on the backside of an electric guitar, I'll incorporate that. But the the sterling silver ring that I use on the pipes and the abalone shell or mother of pearl is to kind of somewhat mirror what I do on the fingerboards of my standard instruments and, you know, kind of pull the two together a little bit. What got you into pipe smoking? Uh, actually, a nephew of mine who's really not much younger than me but he's a he's a i i've come from a family that's kind of split i had some older sisters and uh this nephew of mine has been a collector for many years and uh he's a guy that i kind of hang out with pretty regular and probably back in about 2005 
he started showing me some of these pipes because I would always ask him, you know, and he'd say, oh, they're just kind of neat, you know. And, and I got to really looking at the briar on some of the smooth ones he had. And, of course, the wood, being a woodworker, uh, sucked me into it. And, you know, looking at it, I'm thinking, that can't be that hard to do. (laughs) (laughs) Little did I know then. But anyway, um, it's actually quite challenging to make pipes, and that's what got me started in it was my nephew, and he taught me how to smoke one and enjoy uh, smoking a pipe uh, occasionally, and uh, just uh, pretty much he's he's the guy responsible. What was the first pipe you smoked? The first pipe I smoked, gosh, it would have been one of his, and I want to say it was a Don Carlos, um, if I recall. And then the first pipe I ever owned after that was a Peterson Canadian. And, uh, gosh, I don't know, beyond that, I kind of started making my own and enjoyed those more, I guess. (laughs) Do you remember the first tobaccos you started out with? Oh, yeah. It was all the sticky, sweet, aromatic stuff that I can't stand now. (laughs) Um, And I've graduated to the English blends and, believe it or not, uh, kind of started getting into some of the Virginias these days. Do you still see any tobacco farmers up near you? I do not see too many of them. Uh, I hear that there are a few over in the southwestern part of the state. However, I I did used to work with a fella whose father was a tobacco farmer. He used to cash crop a little bit. So he he kind of told me the story about how they'd uh, hang the tobacco and strip it and all that kind of stuff, you know, and they had to watch it closely. And then there was, like, something that was very immediate. It would reach a certain point, and then it was time to get in there and get this stuff moved out. And uh, he, he explained a lot of that to me. I don't remember a whole lot about it, but uh, that's many years ago I worked with that fellow. But yeah, he was from uh, trying to think exactly the I can't think of the small town he was from down there, but it was southwestern Wisconsin as well. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we're going to talk about Joe's discerning taste in a couple other things that I like. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Josh. Everyone at SmokingPipes.com holds customers as a high priority, but nobody interacts with them more personally than Josh. He's our professor of pipes, if you will. As a previous professor of history, educating the customer comes easily to him. He loves explaining the history of a particular pipe to a customer or coaching his customer service team. I love to help customers find that perfect piece for their collection. It's my job to make sure there's a smile on the other end of the line and I'm more than happy to be the one to put it there. And although Josh's job can sometimes be quite demanding, he doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why? Because I don't just sell pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345. That's 1-888-366-0345. Or check us out online at SmokingPipes.com. We are quality. We are experts. We are smokingpipes.com I'm not just a pipe smoker. I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. All of my pipes come from MeershamStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including Calabash, Claws, Dragons, Horror, even a sexy series. MeershamStore.com, the most trusted Meersham store for 50 years. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show with Joe Nelson. Joe, how far are you from Lake Wobegon? I have no clue. Ah, okay, so you're not a Prairie Home Companion listener. No, no, I am not, but I know I do know. I, uh, it, it is a fictional place, and I have no idea how far it would be from here. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's closer than Little House on the Prairie. There you go. So you have, you know, before we before we went away to the break, you were talking about how your tobacco taste changed, uh, and how you've worked your way into real tobaccos from the aromatics. <laughs> yes. 
Uh, you also have a highly discerning taste in coffee and beer, even to the point where you roast your own coffee and brew your own beer. That's correct. I do. So let's talk about what I care about first, and then we'll talk about the beer. Uh, okay. <laughs> how did you? What got you into coffee roasting? Actually, pipe making. Believe it or not. <laughs> Um, it's funny how it all kind of comes together. Um, I got to talking to a gentleman in Las Vegas a few years back at the show there, and he was set up next to me. His name was Sam. I can't tell you his last name right now, but he was from San Francisco area, I believe. And, uh, he started telling me about how he roasted his own coffee. And I, I am a coffee drinker at that point, I, you know. I, I was drinking a lot of coffee, and, and he said, you know, you should try roasting your own. He said, it's really nice. You can do small batch roasts and, and kind of play around with the different levels of the roast and, and everything like that. And So it kind of intrigued me, and then, of course, I was talking to Jody Davis about it as well. And uh, at that time, I you know, uh, I believe, I, I'm not sure if he was roasting his own at that time or not or, or whatever, but I kind of... I was hearing it a lot within the pipe-making community. Uh, Jeff Grasick also told me he was roasting his own coffee. and uh, yeah. So it kind of intrigued me, and I was waiting and waiting. And finally this past, uh, I think it was about July or August, I uh, I bit the bullet and started doing it and uh, really become a coffee snob since. It's, it's, it's fun to do, um, and you can really play around with the different roasting levels and enjoy a really good cup of coffee. Now, when you're when you go out somewhere and you get a cup of coffee, are you are you really depressed that it doesn't taste the same as what you make at home? No, I'm not depressed. There's times I'm extremely disappointed, and then there's other times where I'm pleasantly surprised. It just kind of depends where you're at. But I I do find that there is quite a variety, and I always try to keep my palate open to discover new coffees. So I I'm not you know disappointed as often as you might think but there are times where you get a really bad cup and it's like oh you know could have lived without that one but uh most of the time you can be pleasantly surprised do you prefer a dark roast a french roast arabica colombian you know for many years i really enjoyed dark dark roast coffee like espresso type roasts you know extremely dark and since i've been roasting my own i'm finding that i like them you know, more in the city roast range, city plus, you know, I'll take some down as dark as, you know, Vienna or French roast, but I seldom go as far as uh, the espresso type roast where you're almost making carbon from, you know, out of the bean. Um, but I still do enjoy an occasional cup of really darkly roasted Sumatra. Uh, so I do keep some of that on hand and I'll, I'll take that down to a real dark roast level. But most of them, I, I'm finding that I like the uh, the lighter you keep the roast, the more that it imparts the uh, the origin flavors and flavor profile. And of course, the darker you take it, the more it's the roast flavor profile that you get from the coffee. So it's kind of an interesting blend. Also, I've noticed the lighter roasts uh, will impart a little more acidity to your cup, and as you take them darker you can start to enjoy more of the fruitier flowery notes and some of the sweetness and then once you go beyond and start getting real dark it's more of the bitter chocolate notes and that type of thing so it's a nice range to play around with have you found certain types of certain roasts of coffees that work better with certain kinds of pipe tobaccos i have um for instance there's a sadamo guji from ethiopia that i've been roasting at a probably a kind of a medium to medium dark roast i'd say city plus plus in that range and uh that goes really well with my english blends (laughs) and what kind of is that a mild medium heavy english blend uh they're all pretty heavy yeah pretty heavy of the syrian latakia blends that i like with those heavy latakia blends i'm surprised you can taste anything You've been talking to Levon Irk, haven't you? I've heard of that guy before. <laughs> now, once you're done, once you're done uh, roasting your own coffees, you've also started home brewing your own beer. 
Well, I started homebrewing my own beer a long time ago, um, and then I got away from it for about eight years, and then probably three years ago I started doing it again. Uh, the reason I got into brewing beer was because I like a lot of the Belgian-style beers, and if you are into Belgian-style beers, you know that they're quite expensive to purchase. So I got the idea that maybe I could brew my own a little on the cheaper side and still enjoy the, the beer that I like. And uh, I don't know that you get by any cheaper, but it's sure a lot more fun, and you can once again play around with flavor profile depending on which strain of yeast you're using and the type of hops and uh, the amount of hops and also just the different malts that are available to play around with. So that really, I mean, that's really a complex deal. And sometimes you, you know, you hit them on the head, you know, you hit a home run with them and other times it's like, ah, they're just okay. But uh, it's still fun to do. And it's something I get together with that same nephew of mine. And we enjoy that, uh, that hobby as well. I've never met somebody who's had a nephew that's such a bad influence on him. Well, I was probably a bad influence on him in the beer making, but he was a bad influence on me with the pipes. So it kind of equal trade off there. And in, in Wisconsin, is it legal to brew any beer besides Miller? <laughs> it is. Believe it or not, you're allowed to brew. I think it's like 200 gallons a year, and uh, of your liking, and you can get away with it. I've never quite uh, brewed that much beer myself, but uh, as a home brewer, I'm probably lucky if I do maybe, I don't know, 30, 30 to 40 gallons a year, and then we split that up amongst us. So. so are you brewing that into growlers and then just twist on caps, or you doing no, it? No, no, no. I've, I've got a pretty decent uh, summer kitchen type setup in my, in my old farmhouse basement, so we do it, you know, uh, kind of like in a classic style, and then I use a lot of the, uh, I had actually taken a trip to Germany a few years back, and I've got myself some of those real nice Grosch-style bottles that have the reusable-type caps that are like a spring-loaded type of deal with the rubber seal on the top. And then the rest of them I I uh, actually bottle and cap uh, the old-fashioned way, although I'm thinking someday I might go to the uh, the soda containers the corny kegs they call them and uh and actually put a beer on tap but uh for now i'm keeping it low-keyed and just kind of fun and you said something that i haven't heard some somebody say in a long time and i want you to tell everybody what it is you said summer kitchen yeah well you know summer kitchen is kind of like uh for canning and things like that and it's in the basement so it's cooler in case it gets really hot and humid during the summer you can kind of go down there and uh do your thing without <laughs> cooking everybody else out of the house down here in the south we have them out on our uh out on our porches or back patio decks there you go all right so going back to pipe making you decide you want to get a pipe you you want to start making pipes how did you get started learning the details of making a pipe? The first thing I did was uh, I got a hold of this outfit called Pimo um, and got a hold of their book and uh, ordered a few blocks of briar from them. And then uh, after I made pipes from those, I think it was about a half a dozen blocks and some preformed stems that I got through them. And then I contacted... Uh, Mark Tinsky from American Pipes, and uh, I bought a, I don't know what it was, maybe a half a bag of briar from him, and I played around with some of that stuff. Uh, and uh, then I started doing the uh, the ebonite stems and the lucite stems, and I found that I preferred the ebonite uh, only because it's just a little softer on a person's teeth, and that's what I like. So I started using rod stock there with the Delrin tenons and, uh, it's all, the rest is kind of history. The one thing I did learn early on with my pipe smoking is how much I did not like breaking in pipes. <laughs> uh, so I so I was trying to come up with a way, devise a way that I could get some of those nasties that I was experiencing with the break-in of, of the pipes I had been trying. Uh, and uh, my ultimate goal was to oil cure because I had heard somewhere you know, just heard somewhere along the line that that was supposed to be the the best way to, to really kind of remedy that problem. But I never really knew how to do it. So then I started uh, 
the distilled water boil thing where you actually have like four different pots of water boiling on your stove and you're kind of, you know, you're kind of moving the briar from one one pot to the next. And of course, that's after it's been drilled and rough shaped. So there was quite a big scrap factor there. I wasted a lot of briar. That first briar, especially from uh, from Mark Tinsky, uh, a lot of that ended up in the, in the barbecue. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, then I kind of went back to the, the oil curing, and I was experimenting with that from the time I started until, gosh, I don't know. I'm trying to remember what year I started exclusively oil curing my pipes. I think I've been oil curing now about three years. Um, uh, might have been 20, 2010 or 2011. I finally figured out I, I couldn't quite ever get it right, and I visited Lee Von Ertz's shop for like a three-day period, I think I went up there, and he doesn't talk much about what he does for oil curing, nor does he talk much about his blasting, um, but just from the few things he did show me and explain to me, I was able to connect the dots with what I'd been missing, and I came home, and immediately it was like a, a light went on and uh, connected the dots, and away I went, and I started doing a few of them for myself and and for a couple of locals here that smoke pipes, and we were all in agreement that that I finally figured it out to a point where it worked. So I started offering uh, both methods to the public, and then before you know it, I was selling hands down the oil-cured pipes over the water-distilled cured pipes. And uh, so that's why I just finally went to all oil cured now, and so that's what I'm doing. You make pipes in four different grades still, uh, rusticated sandblast and then smooths and specials? Correct. Yeah, the the specials can be anything from either just like multi-textured where you have smooth and or rusticated or parts of it sandblasted, or it can just be a, a kind of a unique shape that maybe nobody else does or, or something I've never seen anybody else do to... Uh, you know, pretty much that that would be classified as a special. Otherwise, it's mainly just the rusticated uh, sandblasts and smooths. And I would say, hands down, I'd sell probably the most sandblast pipes. Most guys like the middle-of-the-road thing. Um, but I do sell quite a few smooths as well. And I saw a pipe of yours at the Kansas City Pipe Show one year that must have been a special because it was a paneled bulldog that had to have about, I don't know, 38,000 different panels on it. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the most uh, difficult pipes I make, at, at least to date. And uh, it's one that it's one of those things that, you know, like you're almost thinking every time you go to make one, could I take this back? <laughs> <laughs> because they are so hard and, and that. But, you know, they take about a week to make, and you can't do it in one week because, you know, those panels, when you're doing everything by hand the way I do, it, your eyes can start to play tricks. So you get to a point where you have to just set it aside and come back at it another hour later or sometimes it's a day later. And you just kind of keep working it back and forth till you get it exactly right. And uh, so those are time-consuming, but they are a very sharp-looking pipe when you, when you get one to come out exactly right. So it, it's worth the time. And I try to only do about three to four of those a year. Um, I haven't ever turned anybody away, but I've pushed them off into the next year <laughs> with those because they are, you know, they're more of a labor of love. You don't really make out too well on those pipes. Um, from a profit standpoint, they're just they're just a neat thing to, to do for people. So I don't do that many of them. Is that pipe photographed on your website? It sure should be. Um, it's probably under special pipes somewhere in the back. I haven't really looked at the archives lately, but, um, yeah, I'm certain I've got it on there. And your website is oldnellypipes.com, O-L-D-N-E-L-L-I-E-pipes.com. Correct. And the old Nelly, that must refer to either you or your favorite horse. That's me. Uh, <laughs> and don't don't ask me quite how I came up with that name. It was it was kind of a kind of a deal here when my daughters were younger. Um, we always played basketball, and uh, you know, like when you're playing basketball, you have friends over, and they have friends over, and then pretty soon it's 
you know, my nickname kind of growing up at times over the years has been Nelly. Hey, Nelly, you know, and uh, for some reason that caught on with my daughters as well, and it got to be confusing when somebody's saying, hey, Nelly, over here, or Nelly, you know, <laughs> over here, and you're looking and everybody's looking in the same direction because there was four Nellies on the court. So <laughs> they started calling me old Nelly. And then I just thought, ah, that'd be kind of a cool name for a pipe, you know. So that's what I did. <laughs> and, and besides that, there's got to be another Joe Nelson pipe maker somewhere. Uh, it's possible. I don't know of them. <laughs> I know there's a lot of Nelson luthiers out there these days. Uh, since '09, when I uh, set out to create my website for, for guitars, um, I've had several people contact me and want me to sell them my domain. Um, and so that's my, my guitar website is nelsonguitars.com, but you'll also see some out there that are nelsonsguitars.com. You'll also see Nelson Instruments and Bob Nelson and Gene Nelson and all these different names out there. So there's quite a few guys that uh, are luthiers now as well. But back when I did it, uh, first started uh, coming up with that business name in '09. I was the only only one out there when I when I was searching the domain. The only other Nelson that came up under guitars was Willie, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and he smokes a different kind of pipe. And you're he the does, I think. I, I mean, you know, from what I've heard, anyway. <laughs> and you're the only Joe Nelson pipe maker we care about. All right, glad to hear that. And we will wrap this up with the Fast Five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Oh, uh, I don't know. Go for it. All right, what's your favorite pipe? My favorite pipe, Old Nelly. What's your favorite tobacco? Um, Pelican. What's your favorite drink? Oh, boy. Beer. <laughs> when it's time to relax, is it a book, a movie, or music? music and finally any favorite uh, pipe smoking memory uh yeah sitting out on my patio here one evening with my two brother-in-laws uh one from colorado and one from uh down by cedarburg wisconsin we were just outside one evening enjoying a, uh, a pipe and those two guys are cigar smokers so they had their cigars and we were i don't know had a little bit of scotch or something like that, but it was kind of a cool evening, um, and you know, not real dark, but almost dark. And I've got just kind of like some little backlight on the patio. And uh, my one brother-in-law took this picture of me as I was lighting my pipe, and my whole silhouette is just kind of engulfed in smoke. And it was just the coolest kind of photo moment, if you will, and I just really enjoyed that that particular evening, so I would have to say that's probably my best pipe-smoking memory. And uh, you've been involved in some of mine in those dinners with Lee that we uh, tend to have in Columbus. Oh, yeah. Check out Joe's website, oldnellypipes.com, or the guitar site. You can actually link to the guitars from the uh, from the pipe site, right? That is correct, yes. Joe, thank you for joining us. And, uh, You're keep, very welcome. Thank you. Keep up the good work. We'll see you uh, in Chicago. Sounds good. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. The year was 1849. Zachary Taylor was sworn in as the 12th President of the United States. The U.S. flag remained fixed at 30 stars. Edgar Allan Poe was found dead in Baltimore. Congressman Abraham Lincoln patented a buoying device, the only patent ever filed by a future president. William Bond was the first person to photograph the moon through a telescope. And gold was discovered in far-off California. And in that same year, also in California, Henry Sutliff founded his small tobacco company in San Francisco. Founded on the principles of giving the public superior tobacco products for those with very discriminating tastes. Now, 165 years later, that tradition continues. Sutliff Tobacco Company has been setting the standard for pipe tobacco ever since. 
Take a quiz on our website to have the perfect blend suggestion for your tastes. Or just browse around to explore all of the wide variety of fine products America's oldest pipe tobacco company has to offer. Lots of things have changed since 1849, but Sutliff Tobacco Company's commitment to making the finest pipe tobacco on earth has not. Visit sutliff-tobacco.com for information on where you can find all of your favorite blends, from the sweetest aromatics to the richest English mixtures. Welcome back. If you get a chance to see Joe at a pipe show, he's kind of a taller guy, really friendly, really approachable. Uh, don't look for him too late, though. After 9, 30, 10 o'clock, you know, those Wisconsin boys, it's early to bed, early to rise. And for Joe, sometimes 10.30 is about as late as he can uh, late as he can hang with us. All right, JDRF auction update. Cosmic Folklore, Michael Johnson Tamper ended, sold for $100. I appreciate all the bids, appreciate Michael's work, his talent, and donating those wonderful tampers. Currently... As we speak, ending on this Saturday, a Ricardo Santia Ultimate Corn Cob Pipe. He donated it. It's on Pipe Stud, Steve Fallon's eBay store. Please go check it out. It's a beautiful piece of work. And remember, 100% of the donations go directly towards the JDRF. We are quickly closing in on the $2,000 mark. I would love to bust right through that and... Uh, Appreciate everything all of you guys are doing to help get us there. Uh, so recently here in Charlotte, there was a performer by the name of Arthur Guitar Boogie Smith, who just passed away last week. Arthur Smith, probably his most famous piece of music that he wrote, ended up in a ended up in a movie where there was some pipe smoking and squealing like a pig. It was dueling banjos or the impetus for dueling banjos well i found a version of it on an album called guitars rock by clark and jesson so i thought we'd play a little dueling banjos in honor of arthur Thank you. 
That is some fast picking, and in my opinion, oh, and by the way, I am the leading expert on my own opinion, that's my favorite version of dueling banjos, of course, with a little guitar in there, too. What's this? A letter for me. Quick mailbag here. Uh, Bob Bittner caught me. Yeah, it's not. Dr. Seuss, his name is Theodore Geisel. Seuss was his middle name. Yeah, I kind of jumbled over that, and that's part of the fun of doing it live. Uh, John Seiler liked the synopsis on famous pipe smokers, and he thinks the pipe helps them think out their ideas and carry out their explorations. And that was part of the discussion I was having with Quincy earlier. Was uh, Yeah, I think it does. It helps focus, helps me focus, helps me clear my mind and kind of zone in on things. Uh, John said, Al Franklin, an interesting background and career. He's been around the Pipe Carvers Tour. I tend to agree with his opinion on Costello Pipes. John especially likes the donkey nuts. Uh, The American Carvers are taking their place on the international stage. Interesting interview. Riff Raff went on to say, Al Franklin was awesome. What a fascinating interview. If he wrote a book that he wouldn't go to jail for or suddenly go missing from, I'd buy it and read it. He is almost like an American version of James Bond. Motorcycle racer by day, clandestine operator by night. Gets more uh, than a toilet seat. What a great line. Yeah, it is. Uh, Riff Raff said, "Another uh, another great show. It's one of the highlights of my week. Uh, Mr. Jerky Jordan said the Benjamin bookmark in the Bible is interesting to say the least. At first glance, I thought this said Al Franken. That would have been strange. Yeah, Al Franken would have been almost as strange as getting Nancy Pelosi on the show. Uh, the picture that we used for Al, that was a a photographer friend of Al's that was building his portfolio and wanted to do something fun. Uh, one of the listeners, and I can't remember which one it was, let me see. Oh, it's Chops. Uh, forum member Chops identified that as a bottle of Abalor single malt in his hand He and said he is my hero. Um, Chops, you must, know your, uh, you must know your single malts because that absolutely was Abalor in his hand. Um, R-S-U-N-I-N-V, I listened to four episodes of the radio show while driving back to Vegas today, and while they were all good, this was the best. I have a passport he can borrow. <laughs> uh, don't know if he can borrow your passport to get out of the country, but anyway. Um, one pyrotech asked, hey Kevin, how did you ever talk Nancy Pelosi into playing you? Well, it, with Nancy, it's not about talk. It's all about the money. Uh, Nola Cajun, real quick. Wow, this guy's life would make one hell of a movie, and that's a total badass photo. Hope I look that good in a few more years. All right. Also going on on PipesMagazine.com over this weekend is a thread that's called Fast Five Final Questions. Want some interesting reading? Go to PipesMagazine.com. Check out the thread. There's about uh, 25, 28 responses so far of people answering the Fast Five final questions, and they are some really good reads. Uh, There is one in particular, the favorite pipe-smoking memory. It is, this past September, my father, uncle, cousin, and I were out on my father's boat. My grandfather had been in hospice for nearly two weeks. By this point, everyone was tired, stressed, and anxious for the inevitable passing of my wonderful former pipe-smoking grandfather. I remember very clearly I was smoking Sutliff Fieldmaster in my Peterson Catmere Bent Bulldog. Enjoying the evening, we decided to throw out some lines and troll for salmon. Eventually, we caught a northern pike. Not a particularly big one, but the rarity of catching a pike while fishing for salmon was notable. Around this time, we got a call that my grandfather had indeed finally passed. While the moment was very sad, it was also very happy. My grandfather would have loved that we were out on a boat fishing, enjoying a pipe in each other's company. One of many wonderful memories I will cherish for the rest of my life. And that was from uh, forum member Lincoln's Bark. But do go check that out. Also, while you're on Pipes Magazine, check out the Pipe Babes, check out the new articles check out the uh, especially check out steve morissette's new 
uh, fashion column or style column as he's calling it. And that'll wrap up the mailbag in just a minute. Rave time. I wish I had a genie who could make it easy to order pipes and tobaccos online. You don't need a genie, sir. Visit fournoggins.com. They stock all your favorite pipes and tobaccos, and every order gets fast personal attention. Orders are packed carefully and shipped quickly by priority mail. Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com. I can still see you, you know. A bit rusty, sir. Fournoggins.com. The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation. From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal low country, it's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s, and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, spicy Periques, or unique aromatics, we've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, we live all things pipe tobacco, blending it, smoking it, and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellAndDeal.com. Cowboy. Cowboy. Here is my thank you, my rave to two, three, or four unknown smokers in Salt Lake City, Utah. Here's how it goes. A friend of mine here in Charlotte, her son, 27 years old, has been kind of down and out on his luck for about five or six years, and he gets a chance to go to a truck driving school in Salt Lake City. So he goes from Pennsylvania out to Salt Lake City, gets out there. The deal is... The trucking company will pay for your training, pay for your housing, pay for everything, as long as you pass the classes. Well, he had some issues backing up, and he was basically booted out of the trucking school, and they put him on the downtown streets of Salt Lake City on a Friday morning with 40 bucks to his name. Now... Here's what happened. We, here in Charlotte, were trying to help him, but at the same time, we want the young guy to get on his own two feet and figure things out for himself. So he ends up finding a shelter in Salt Lake City where he can stay for up to seven days. In the meantime, he's trying to figure out his game plan, maybe look for a part-time job there, try to figure out what he can do to get some cash going. What does he do? He goes down to the bus station, walks down there to find out how much a bus ticket would be to go back home to Pennsylvania, And while he is there, he steps outside, not a pipe smoker, but a cigarette smoker, steps outside to the cigarettes, to the cigarette smoking section, was obviously a little upset. A couple other guys there smoking saw what, saw that he was upset, asked him what was going on. Turns out one of the guys hanging out there is a truck driver and got three or four of his buddies to all reach into their pockets, chip in, and bought him a bus ticket and gave him some spending money. And two days later, he was back home in Pennsylvania. That is the kind of stuff that you only hear of amongst smokers. You hardly ever hear of it out on the streets, but it's the kind of stuff that I want to make sure that people know that, you know what, they may be cigarette smokers, but they're still smokers, and they're still really good people, and they stick together. So a big shout-out to... Those unnamed smokers of Salt Lake City. All right, next week we'll be back live here. Uh, Saturday following this show, I will be in Raleigh for the Triangle Area Pipe Smokers, the TAP show. So next week's show, uh, recap of the NATO show and the Raleigh show. 
lots going on. Plus, we're ramping up for the big Chicago Pipe Show. Don't forget, if you're going to be there, if you're going to be in Chicago, 9 p.m. on Friday night in the Smoking Tent, the PipesMagazine.com Contributors Forum. Be a lot of fun, be a lot of smoking, might be a little bit of drinking, and uh, Kevin's going to try to moderate us. <laughs> so that'll be fun for him. All right, appreciate everybody tuning in. Appreciate all that support for the JDRF. If you get a chance, leave us a rating or review on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company, and until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just Sing a song and think about sunny weather. When you're when you're telling these little stories, here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener.